welcome to our newest adventure for first responder wellness. No one fights alone. In-depth conversations about mental health and culture in the first responder space. We're joined by your co-hosts, Austin Pedersen and Brad Shepard. What's up, bro? Another day, another dollar, Brad, you know? Man, it is uh, it is a little overcast and rainy here. I see the sun trying to peek out, but it is fucking gorgeous here. I've got all my windows open. I get, this is rare for Oklahoma, man. What, it's either negative 20 or 100 degrees outside? And it's always blowing wind. Like, the, there is not a tree moving. It is, it is gorgeous. It is, yeah, this is like... I think this is like day two out of three the year that we have these kind of days. <laughs> and I'm, I'm guessing you need some mountains, man, to stop that wind. We, we do. We do need a windbreak of some type. Nothing. How you been doing? You know what, man? It's, uh, I was, I've worked a lot of the weekend. You know, we always split on call weekends. And so you always hope for like, I, I don't know about you, but I always hope for like the nicest, calmest and it just never happens. Right. And, and there's a, nope. there's a piece about it to where it's not necessarily how many phone calls you get it's like the anxiety of i can't go do x y and z because i'm nervous <laughs> that the phone is gonna ring and i'm gonna have to step away or whatever or i don't have service or or something like that so i end up like just anxiety rolling just waiting for the phone to ring and it never fails well seldom fails that when the phone does ring it's at the most inopportune time you're actually thinking okay this is opportunity to go do do this mm -hmm. boom it rings or you're sitting on the shitter or you're you know whatever happens to be going on and you're like chateau recovery yep dude this brad how can i help you so this is actually you said it i cannot tell you how many times i've been sitting on the shitter and that phone rings when i'm on call and bleeping. <laughs> it's more than anything else in in the world i swear and it always does it and i always just like roll my eyes i end up not answering because my bathroom echoes really bad so I'm like, I think they're going to know I'm going to like, we'll hurry up, whatever, get up and then go out and answer because it rings through, you know, twice. So we get the chance to answer it. But that, that statistic, whatever it is, if I could jot it, I'm going to start jotting it down and figuring it out because that is so true. It's like they know. Yeah. Yeah. It's like they know. Oh man. It's one of those, but you know what? There's really no complaints, man. I, I got to play golf this weekend. It lightning stormed. Dude, the lightning hit probably maybe a hundred feet from us and I play with the same dudes every sunday and even us who are some old bald gray bearded men <laughs> who who make very dark jokes about suicide we're like i think i want to live today like let's let's leave <laughs> so nobody was running around holding a club in the air thinking this today i want to get struck by lightning no i'm surprised there's some dudes in that group that are on the edge for sure uh but they just decided that they were gonna let it go i don't know what happened but uh as opposed as opposed to the caddyshack moment of having the absolute best game of your life oh, that's kind of what was happening for two of us me and another dude were were on our game and uh i think i even said the caddyshack line heart stuff's not coming down for a while like <laughs> <laughs> Oh, classic. No, I actually, uh, I actually took a phone call and I'll, and I'll kind of lead us into our topic for, uh, you know, not being on call, but I did get a phone call. I was telling you earlier about the, and he just wasn't doing well and, uh, spent quite a bit of time talking to the guy about uh, what was going on. And ultimately, you know, finally just asked some really tough questions and come to find out he had a gun in his mouth over twice, two different times over the recent couple of weeks, like bro, man, let's, let's get down and dirty on some of these conversations. Like what's going on. And, uh, you 
know, not that that's just, again, most inopportune time. Um, that was that phone that come in, but you know what, that's what makes those phone calls really, it's okay. You know, cause they don't care. They don't, they just need, they need a voice on the other end. They need an Austin or a Brad or a Tyler on the other end to say, I need some, I need somebody to hear me. Yeah. And it's, it's scary how, in how common that is in this population, man. Like I think it's an unspoken thing. Um, but you know, even, even when I'm taking calls and talking to people, they don't, they don't speak on that because I think it's one of those things where people are afraid that if they say those words, oh, I had a gun in my mouth or a gun in my head, whatever it may be, that means they're immediately going to get committed somewhere, mm-hmm. which does need to happen sometimes. Don't get me wrong. People need to stay safe. But, you know, they, you find out like two weeks later, they're like, oh yeah, by the way, you know, since it's, yeah, that's right. since it's too late now, um, I had a gun in my head, you know, a day or two before I came out here. And it's, it's a staggering amount. Male, female, does not matter. It, you know, it's, it's all over the place. You want to rattle a couple of those statistics off? Yeah. Is oh, now a good time for oh, that? Oh, dude, absolutely. So if we didn't lead into this, you know, part of our conversation today is going to be focused on depression, what it is, what it looks like, and also some some treatment for it, right? And, you know, I was doing research on the podcast episode, and a lot of these stats come from 2020, and so they might be a little bit wor- uh, worse now. But first off, in the world, more than 264 million people suffer from depression. 264 million people. Crazy. That is staggering. Yeah, staggering. And this is from the World Health Organization, by the way. 2020, uh, this is cited. So if we this is prior to COVID or, you know, midst of it, whatever it may be. So those numbers may be even worse now. Uh, Depression is the leading cause of disability in the world. Once again, World Health Organization 2020. Crazy, crazy. You know, I think I think it's really easy to, um, you know, look at the or here maybe is a better way to frame it. Hear these kind of conversations and think, well, that's not me. That's, you know, that's not that's not anything that I've ever been a part of. That's people going to you know, mental health facilities or uh, psychiatric facilities or going to their doctor when the, look, the, the truth of the matter is this affects a lot of people and they never know it. They never uh, lean into it or they never acknowledge that this could potentially be what was going on with them because these things are just so, so simple. Yeah. Cause I mean, depression ranges in symptoms, right? Like I remember when mm-hmm. I was growing up, like I remember just being like, I'm just kind of sad. And like, that was the word we use. We didn't use depression. Like it's just, you know, sad, right? That was, that was a big word that was used. And when I always thought of depression, I always thought of, you know, the people that, and and these are symptoms, of course, but definitely more extreme symptoms where they couldn't shower, couldn't brush their teeth, couldn't take care of themselves, right? In any shape or or form, uh, mental or hygiene wise. And then also the ones that were um, consuming lots of food or, you know, something like they can't leave the house, you know, can't make it to appointments, um, you know, can't show up and and do their job can't go to school you know some of the more major things but that those people are talk about functioning alcoholics people are functioning with depression on a daily basis. depression yeah. right yeah right you know i think uh even you know not that it's funny but it's a little bit of a play on words even sad you know that seasonal affective disorder i've got a buddy that's uh, uh his spouse is is she's afflicted with sad seasonal affective disorder and her, it it affects affects her daily life um, with the symptoms of depression uh, that, that come about from just that little, you know, too much too much snow or too much, you know, dark, she has to have fresh air and sunshine. If she's not outside in it somehow, then it, it, you know, those little things just, 
just absolutely uh, staggering to actually lean into this and say, okay, is is there a is there an element of this that affects me, you know, personally somehow, you know? So what are the what if let, let's talk a little bit about what do those look like? What what are some of those depression signs and symptoms look like? I know I have a few that that come to mind immediately just as we're sitting here visiting. Oh, dude, for me, I mean, I I so first off, seventeen point three million adults, so seven percent of the population. This was in two thousand seventeen that this was taken. National Institute of Mental Health, seventeen point three million adults have had at least one major depressive episode, right? So, well, let's talk about depressive episode, right? For me, mine is oversleeping. Like I have had multiple, mm. I have had more than one major depressive episode, uh, definitely. But I mean, for me, it is 100% oversleeping. And then two, which is I know I'm depressed is if I forget to brush my teeth at night. Weird one, right? Like No kidding. Yeah. Wow. Just a random one. And it's one of those where I know immediately if I have just because I have a very strict routine for bedtime and so I know if if brushing my teeth has escaped my my routine something's going on right and I better take a look at that and start moving towards something else but what about you you know it's it's uh it's pretty simple uh lethargic is one of the primary things if and it's it's it manifests itself in sleeping but it's really about I can I can lose myself in a in a TV or you know I'm watching TV and I, I'm like, I have no idea what I just watched for the last 30 minutes, you know, and, uh, or, or sleeping or piddling. I know, uh, I relate more about my productivity. Like, was I productive today if I wasn't what's going on? Um, and you know, more recently, uh, uh one of the things that you and I talked about was, um, if I'm not staying on my, some of my daily routine stuff of, you know, my morning, uh, journaling and my morning uh, prayer journaling and gratitude journaling. If I don't do that, that's a, that's a sign that, Hey, th that's a red flag to know if I keep that up, bad times are coming for me, which are, uh, you know, feeling there is a lot of pity party stuff going on there, but with, um, you know, just the, just the, oh, the anxiousness is one mm -hmm. that, that I start, I start really, my mind starts getting cluttered with what if, what if, what if, um, and very rare has been the occasion that I've been in a hopeless state but i've been there too you know i've been i've been at a point where i'm like this is man this is this is futile futile efforts futile life and check somebody stop the world i want off yeah well it's interesting to me that one of the major symptoms that i've seen i've seen it for myself but also from a lot of people is the things that they used to do that they enjoyed are no longer fun like it it's mm. so strange this is a common thread where they're like i'm just going to use painting or art for example right like i used to paint and art and love the time that I spent and now I just can't even do it like it doesn't it doesn't fire the same synapses in people's brains for things that they enjoy when they are just chronically depressed and yeah. like oh, that's the worst because those are the things like hobbies and things that we do like we spend you know 33 percent of our time at work generally speaking right and so then you have about another 33 percent of time that you're spent with family for time and then 30 30 percent you're supposed to be asleep if you lose the ability to do something you enjoy during that small free time window that you have you're losing out on a lot of purpose for sure absolutely you know kevin gilmartin dr gilmartin uh refers to that as the uh i used to club i used to golf i used to run i used to fill in the blank you know with whatever uh hobby or time capture that helped 
keep you in a good frame uh, spiritually, emotionally, cognitively, you know, those, those things that are valuable to you, you know, mm-hmm. but, and then that goes into like this, this other kind of wave of, of treatment. Like I'm a firm believer of, of both ends of the road here, right? The medication route, SSRIs, um, you know, to help, help with, you know, pathways in the brain and reigniting serotonin. And then I'm also a proponent of the people that do need to exercise, get out, uh, don't need the medication, but they just need to kind of make some subtle or big changes in their life. And that's what kind of fix it, fixes it. But I, I will say, man, I was talking to a guy today, actually. He's like, man, this is the first time in my life that I'm, I'm not so, or the first time since retirement, actually, is what he said, that I am not so emotional, not so teary-eyed, not so, you know, just not wanting to be here anymore. And it was a medication change and and he, you know, consistently took it for a couple of weeks because that's how long it takes uh, sometimes for those things to really kick in. But he he needs medication. You know, he did a couple of tests and a couple of things, uh, other things that helped him understand that he needs that medication. But the level of acceptance he had for that in order to feel as good as he was feeling, he's like, oh, that's fine. I don't care anymore. Like if I feel a little bit of joy, I'm good with having to take a medication. You know, it's really, it's really uh, uh, interesting that the actual, uh, to combat this, uh, takes a takes a level of mental energy that oftentimes you don't have when you're in that state. Mm-hmm. You know, it just seems so simple to outside people that, well, hey, if, if you're not working out, just get off your ass and go work out. And well, it's not quite that simple for a person in that depressed state. So I, I certainly can relate to, you know, that, that retiree, because what seems simple at the time in those kind of uh, episodes, if you will, for lack of a better term, those, those, those times in your life, they, they aren't simple anymore. They become uh, overwhelming and daunting in just the smallest of tasks of actually just getting up. And I'm a huge proponent of eating and exercising both keep you on a continuous path of mental, physical, and spiritual health. But sometimes those just become so overwhelming. You're like, ah, I'm not, I'm, I'm out. I'm, I'm not getting off this couch. I'm not getting out of this bed. Um, I'm going to eat a burger. I'm going to eat a, go to get a Taco Bell. Um, you know, so many little things in the way of your diet, uh, just that alone uh, can change just, just all facets of your physical makeup. You know, there was a book, um, Again, I'm always referring to little ticks, but uh, Nick Kumulatis wrote a book called uh, Excommunicated Warrior. Uh, and he had a really difficult time um, coming out of, he was a special forces Marine uh, recon unit and his separation led him into really having a difficult time uh, staying healthy. But anyway, it was, it was a real simple version of um, of getting healthy. He, he was a huge proponent of figure out how you can sleep, go medically get checked out, go go to the doctor and make sure that your entire physical makeup is, is done, figure out a way to sleep and then find something you're passionate about and get off your ass and go do it. And you know, it's pretty simple. Uh, I wouldn't say that's oversimplifying because that's sometimes that's really hard to do. Just those things by themselves. Um, we have a we have an aversion to medical doctors because we don't want to go find out what's going on with us, and we don't want somebody telling us oh, you're just depressed or here's an anxiety pill or you know some of those things. But the cold hard reality is sometimes we actually need to go to the doctor, you know, and find some of those things out. But you know, back up there a little bit, I think one of the other uh, clear defining signs 
signs of depression is is how you're interacting with your social support groups. Uh, I know for me, if if I distance myself from family or friends, then that's a you know that's a sign that I now know of. Uh, hey, you need to pay attention to this. And those and those social support groups and that social network is is almost life saving. Actually, is life saving at times. Um, to really give you the opportunity to to draw down and feed on uh, somebody else's energy, somebody else's love and care and compassion and resilience, if you will. So how long did it take you to actually figure out, though, that that was a sign and symptom, right? Because something had to bring that to light. Something had to help you understand that this is one of my signs, right? Because I think we, we sometimes just naturally distance ourselves without really consciously knowing uh, what's going on. So how did you figure out that that was one of the signs? You know, that's a that's a really good question for me and my story because I, uh, you know, not this isn't a pity party, but I got pretty um, when I came out of Chateau, um, man. I they they dropped me like I was uh, like I was nuclear, man. I was I was uh, radioactive. Uh, my circle uh now my family came around me and started loving on me but my friend circle which most of my family is is not locally here to me it was it's either two or three hours so i had to make it a concerted effort to drive to them but the circle the circle of of support that i had around me um before i went to chateau walked away and pushed back from me after chateau um now there's a lot of you know there's a lot of you can point the finger it doesn't matter that that's irrelevant um the reality is i was fucking on my own uh, through this. Well, there were some people that came around me, veterans, the veteran community was the one that came around me and said, hey, I'm going to help you and I'm going to love on you and we're going to give you some hard truth. We're going to give you some love, but we're also going to give you some hard truth. Um, and that rebuilt um, the framework of how I saw social support network. And it was absolutely, to this day, I still, matter of fact, the conversation I had with the guy this weekend that was telling me he was not doing well. Uh, we talked a lot about social support because I am so passionate about that now. I was in that dark place of, of not just not having people around me, but the people I thought who would support me basically gave me a message said, you're not worth it. You're not, you're not worth our, uh, our support. So I had to restructure that and reframe that and rebuild that in my life. That's why it's so much more important to me now, because I know, and, and I'm very, very particular about who is in that circle. Uh, and I don't say that with malicious intent. I say that with very protective boundaries of who I know will show up when I need to pick up that phone and say, I'm not doing well today. Did that answer your question? I'm not sure if that. No, absolutely. That, yeah, absolutely. It's it's unfortunate you had to go through that, but that's also a very eye-opening experience, right? And it's it's something that help you, helped you understand moving forward, like this is, this is what I need from the people surrounding me because community is extremely important important, right? People that have gone through this something similar or understand when you're having those bad days, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a friend, whether it's a sponsor type, you know, person, whether it's a coworker. I mean, it just, it's extremely helpful, right? Like I think we, people who are, I don't think we're ever on the other side of, of depression because it can really show up in many different ways and, and show up when you least expect it, when something, things are going really good in your life. Um, unfortunately for me, that's kind of when it, 
it when it happens. And I, and I know for other people too, they just kind of say like, I can't, I don't know why, but I'm, my life is great and my job's going good. My marriage is going good. And I'm all of a sudden I'm depressed. Right. And it's just one of those things where people need to learn what the signs and symptoms are. And then when they understand what those are, they can actually move forward and help, you know, get rid of those, whether that's a therapist, whether that's medication, whether it's a combination of the both that's individual based. No, I, I, a hundred percent agree. The, the, I think most people have an aversion to learning about depression because it's more avoidance, uh, avoidance coping maybe is a better way to look at it. I'm not a clinician obviously, but there's a, there's a point there where they're just absolutely refuse to, uh, lean into that because of the label or because of the, you know, the, maybe the feeling sorry for themselves or they don't want anybody else's um, but the cold hard reality is there's a, uh, you know, a mental and emotional component to it. There, there's also a chemical component to it that, you know, I won't, I won't say that I understand uh, that, but I do acknowledge it. And I've tried my best to understand some of it, which is, you know, the, the, the chemical makeup of, of what you, you referred to it earlier about serotonin, you know, oxytocin, endorphin, uh, cortisol, um, you know, I, these are all things that I've strived to actually have a better understanding of how, what the makeup is on the those. I know within uh, there's certain areas of, of my life that are still uh, have enormous stress components too. So I'm very cautious in that. And if I've spent any time dwelling on that uh, specific to the cortisol, that means I have to spend other time making sure I get cortisol out of my system. What does that look like? Uh, water and exercise. You know, these these are all these are all things that and and there's not an the, the easy instant um, cure. I don't I won't say cure, that's not a good word. The easy instant rebuttal fix uh, is going and getting medication. Well, I'm not a proponent of, of, of over-medicating either. I think there's times where people need that medication, but I also think people use medication when it's not necessary. There's, um, there's hard work that can be done that can help you without the medication, which is diet, exercise. Um, I actually just had a conversation recently with, I, I use coloring books. I have, a, I have coloring books that because that actually is supposed to be very productive to uh, the brain right health and, and you right color brain, yeah. with right, yeah, right and left brain and, and color. And so I buy, you know, these adult coloring books. I don't care. I don't, I don't care. Yeah. Is it funny? Yeah, it's funny. Uh, but there, there's these little, little coloring books and I have uh, colored pencils and, you know, the, all these little things that, that work together to move forward towards a peaceful and happy life. Um, you know, I went through with, um, I won't say his name on here, but he's a first responder. When I went through Chateau, one of the things he said, if, if you tell me pushing a dog turd across the nose uh, the road with my nose will give me a peaceful, happy, serene life, I'll fucking do it. And I remember him saying that I would do anything barring criminal activity to get healthy up to and including pushing a dog turd across the road with my nose. I'll do it. And I, that stuck with me. You know what? You tell me that coloring is going to help. Great. Exercise. Great. Um, eating better. I drink god awful green smoothies now. They're um, spinach, kale, and shard uh, smoothies, and I drink one once a day because it's supposed to be really good for you. Um, get good greens and fibers. Yeah, it's disgusting. I see you shaking your head. It is disgusting, but does it help? Yes, I think so. Um, my holistic naturopath doctor says it does, so I'm yeah. I'm in. Well, I mean, there's support for both, right? Like, so for me, I was on medication when I started and then got off the medication after a while. That was my goal personally. That's a lot of people's goals, but there's also no shame in, in the people that do need to stay None. on medication for life or for until whenever they want to get off or feel like they need to. Absolutely. So we have a few minutes left, and I want to get into the nitty gritty of this particular 
another topic. The combination of suicide and depression. Serious shit. And these numbers through I can't imagine I can't imagine what data you're fixing to throw out. It's gonna be it's gonna be staggering again. And so this is from the American Association of Suicidology. Sounds like a very, very legitimate organization to me. Two thirds of those who commit suicide struggle with depression. Pretty high. Of those diagnosed with depression, one percent of women and seven percent of men commit suicide. Now you remember what that number was up at the at the top, the two hundred and sixty something million? Two hundred and forty eight million, I think. Was it two hundred forty eight? I'm not sure. It was high, right? The risk of suicide is about twenty times greater among those diagnosed with major depressive disorder in comparison to those without. Suicide is one of the leading causes of deaths for fifteen to nineteen year olds. It's I mean, now fentanyl's up there really high. But this is very obvious, these numbers that depression at you know, the greater over, risk. To overlap that, you know, they're depending on which research paper data, you know, uh, researcher you dive into. The One of the more recent was uh, firefighters uh, had a 47% uh, of firefighters polled had had suicide ideations. You know, I don't, I again, I'm not a researcher, but I, there's, there's got to be some type of correlation there between seeing depressive type, depression type symptoms uh, and acknowledging them. Can we be you know, maybe this is this is one of those things that we can actually look at and say, okay, this is a this is a barometer for what those thoughts are, and can we use depression itself as as a as a marker for those? I mean, that's you you said it; they're already doing that. These are these are markers that show suicides suicide thoughts are coming uh, if you don't stand into it and lean into it and look into the face of what's really going on yeah, with you. It, it it's really it sad. Absolutely breaks really my sad heart. Yeah, conversation. So just recently, three days ago, man, I had known this guy he was part of he was a student at columbine during the columbine shooting right it fucked him up for his life and he was always unable to process and deal with those emotions struggled with depression uh extremely bad great guy funny you know just a joy to be around he took his own life three days ago right because oh and, so and I mean, it's one of those things man where like this this is a sign right like these he had major depressive we we had experienced you know some treatment together he's a good guy man great guy but he could not get past this he could not get past the depression that he was constantly, constantly dealing with. And, you know, in the end, right, like that, that led to suicide, led to the end of his life. And that's, that's why I take this so seriously. It's like, you know, the, these depression statistics and taking care of yourself and, you know, kind of facing it and facing your inner demons is extremely important because that man had, you know, it's, it's always, it's sad to me when on Facebook, you, you see how many people love this person, right? Like hundreds of people, thousands of people, just hearts broken. Um, Cause it's always the ones that are out Robin Williams, for example, the funny outward, you know, happy go lucky people in front of everyone else are just dying inside. Right. You know, on, on a very personal note, uh, and I'd, I'd love to hear your take on this as well. I, I before I went to Chateau, um, I had actually spoken with several different people saying, Hey, I'm really struggling. I'm really, I'm really finding it hard to keep going. Those weren't suicide preemptive conversations. Though those were conversations that were life's really hard right now. Life really sucks right now. As opposed to, I can't tell you how many times on the other side of Chateau, people told me, I wish you would have told me, I wish you would have said something. I wish you would have reached out. Now I don't, I'm, I don't say that to create blame or, or fault for anybody. I, I use that as a talking point of, for, you know, almost a call to us all to say, there may be people reaching out and you're not seeing through the fodder of, of whatever conversation you may be in. And they may be, they may be expressing something to you. I'm a, I'm a firm believer 
that if you'll stop what you're doing and tune into the conversation, people will tell you exactly where they're at always. I've believed this for years. I've believed this. Uh, and if you give them the opportunity, most of us are just so hyped up with our personal lives or um, busy, or maybe maybe we have things going on that we don't really want to fully engage in a conversation. Um, but I know, I know personal experience uh, of, of my journey where people said, I wish you would have told me. Well, I did. I did. I mean, I've, I've, you know, I've done an autopsy on a lot of my journey and there were, there were many times where I was having conversations with people saying, I'm not doing well. I, I'm, I don't know where to turn. I don't, I'm frustrated. I don't know where to go. I don't know how to overcome this. Um, and I, I use that as a, and I'd love to hear your perspective on that because I use that as a framework to oftentimes as heartbreaking as it is to hear somebody's lost their life. Oftentimes we look back and say, oh, well, I wish he would have said something. And I think many times these people are saying something. We're just not hearing them. Yeah, that's a great point, man. That's And I emphasize that because I think we naturally as human beings just move about about our day, right? On to the next thing, on to the next thing, on to the next thing, right? And sure, what we hear from other people, from our loved ones, from our friends, you know, whatever, coworkers, it's in one ear and out the other. And this person could be crying out for help without directly saying, I'm going to hurt myself, right? Like, and, and you missed it because you were on your phone or you were, you know, staring ahead or, you know, whatever, right? Like, I don't think that people naturally take that pause and listen to what people say, like really listen to what they say, because a lot of people will hint at things that are going on because they're too ashamed to outright say them. But if someone said, is this what's going on with you? They're like, yeah, you know, it's, it's one of those. And so, you know, we can tell when people are struggling. So if they are struggling, sit down, listen, hear them out, because I can't tell you how many times on the phone with people that are looking to go into treatment, they'll say, Hey, you know, I want to, I want to know if what insurance you take. I say, well, okay, that's fine. Why don't you tell me what's going on first? Nobody else does that part because it's a business and people are trying to make money. They don't want to spend the time. Right. But they just want to answer the question when really behind it is, well, tell me first what's going on with you to see if I can even help you or if you just need someone to talk to or if there's a conversation going on. I had to learn that the hard way. I mean, I did that as a young kid. I mean, my dad with CTE, man, he would say these things and I would just blow by him. I was a young kid, 18, 19 years old. And I look back now and I'm like, yeah, okay. Those were conversations that were cries for help. I 100% I, I agree. I think there's, a, um, if, if you're tuned in uh, and, and we have a reasonable expectation of our inner support circle of people being mm -hmm. tuned in. So I think this is a call to us all to say, hey, make sure you're tuned in, especially, especially in the community we work in uh, and arguably probably the listeners that are actually, you know, I think our audience, we're gaining a, a absolutely fantastic audience. And I think the audience we have, uh, the loyal listeners we have are, are very much in tune in this community um, and, and understand what it is, the framework we put in this conversation in. And I think little things like that give you, if you're really listening, it gives you, I, I, I can remember uh, several times actually pausing to say, wait, the voice inflection is different. The magnitude and the impact of the words that he's saying are different. So I turn around and say, okay, something's just changed about this conversation. Mm -hmm. What are we talking about? Are, we, are you, are you, are you yeah. doing okay? Cause it doesn't sound 
like you're doing okay. Let's let's back up here and let's dive a little deeper into this conversation. Um, I cannot tell you how many times um, I've I've gone back over conversations. We were talking about it right at the beginning, you know, about uh, being being uh, you know kind of put out in certain areas of of these conversations. But when you work in the line of work that we are in, man, at any given moment, that phone could ring and you're going to be you're going to be on the phone with somebody who needs you for the next two maybe three hours, uh, either with them directly or getting them help. Or I mean, it's just it's just the journey that we're on. And and uh, so I think you're I think you're I think you're right. Uh, I think it's and and two I, I again I'll just throw that challenge out there. It's a challenge to yeah. us all, including me. To actually, listen to these conversations and pay attention to them and are we really doing our due diligence due diligence to uh you know listen to these people uh our friends uh and acquaintances to make sure that the the equation of not doing well to depression doesn't lead to suicide well here's my last tip well there's a few last little tips i'm going to give because we're wrapping up but when i was mentoring young men there was this trick i used to have right and that trick was to pull them to the fire pit or whatever we had, start a fire and just sit in silence for a few minutes. There is something in human nature that goes on when somebody surrounds themselves with fire. And I don't know if that's from the caveman days and it's just built into our systems through you know, a million years, whatever. It doesn't matter. The best conversations that I've ever had in my life in the most real, honest, truthful conversations were done around a fire. Just sitting there, a couple logs, go. Right. I've I've made more headway with any with every single person without a doubt, never failed once. I could relate to that. I wouldn't I wouldn't lay that heavy a claim on it, but I've had some really intensely deep conversations around. Was your intention though to have that conversation? See, that's that's why I I think it's I lay that claim because my intention is to go in knowing that where that's gonna go and my intention is to lead the conversation down that way if somebody wasn't, you know, opening up all the way or or something like that, right? Like it's it was the design behind it. Uh and then two, there's there's a lot of resources now, man. 988, the the new mental health hotline. I know that's probably got some kinks and things like that to work out. It's available. There, there's people out there. And so we say it all the time, but nobody can read your mind. Nobody knows what's going on inside of your mind at any given time. And so please reach out, talk to someone you trust. That's, that's the bottom line. Find someone you trust. If you need someone to talk to, I know Brad is available. I'm available. Just reach out because these numbers, some of these numbers are, are a few years old right and so i apologize if they weren't up to date with some statistics but i feel like they've only gotten worse over the last couple of years so you know i think that's a um awesome close right here uh and i think with your permission i'm gonna leave both our cell phone numbers with our listeners i don't know that that not, not necessarily mm-hmm. everybody has them but i absolutely do not mind uh either getting a phone call or a referral hey i'd like for you to talk to my that was all that conversation was this past week um was was hey i think you need therapeutic help uh because you need next level of care that I don't have. Let's get you, let's get you in. And um, he was in and I'm going to do a, a follow-up on it. My cell phone is 405-245-5139. You can text me or call me anytime. Austin's cell phone. Absolutely. You care if I give him your cell phone? 435-253-1813. That's both of our cell phones. You can call us, text us anytime. Or maybe you just want to call and say, hey man, I've got a friend. I don't know what to do with him. Uh, that, that, Give us a call. I don't mind talking to them. I know Austin, you don't mind talking. Uh, giving because that life is worth it. We don't even know that person. That life is worth it. Uh, you're better here than there. That's that's how that oh, goes. Man. All right, here we end. Thank you for listening to this segment of No One Fights Alone. No One Fights Alone is sponsored by 
Chateau Recovery is a 16-bed treatment facility nestled in the foothills of the Wasatch Mountains in Midway, Utah. Chateau's First Responder Resiliency Program is designed to treat the unique challenges and issues that first responders encounter in the course of their careers. Chateau's comprehensive and highly individualized approach to treatment addresses more than just the presenting issues. It addresses the why. Each of their seasoned, trauma-trained, and culturally competent therapists utilize evidence-based, specialized therapies to treat trauma at its core and enable clients to begin the healing process while developing a resilient and healthy relationship with stress. Chateau Recovery is trusted by departments and agencies from around the country to treat responders and veterans. In fact, it is one of only a handful of facilities nationwide that is vetted and approved to treat members of the Fraternal Order of Police. For more information, or to speak to a representative, go to chateaurecovery.com or call 888-507-5031. No One Fights Alone is also sponsored by First Responder Trauma Counselors. First Responder Trauma Counselors are subject matter experts in proactive behavioral health care for frontline workers through their National Peer Support Academy. This 40-hour all-badges, all-uniforms, and all-scrubs educational experience helps to create caring, honest, and empathetic peer support relationships with your fellow frontline workers. The FRTC National Peer Support Academy is taught by actual first responders who have gone back to school to become culturally competent, licensed behavioral health clinicians that teach from lived experiences, not just theories from books. This fast-paced, immersive educational academy will not just change your life, it will help you save the lives of others. For additional details, visit 991overwatch.org or call 970-222-419-3. This could be the most life-changing academy you'll ever attend.